The Cell Phone Junkie Podcast, episode 706 for December 22nd, 2019. Sprint begins offering free basic spam protection, app-based early earthquake warnings, and the Senate passes the Telephone Robocall Abuse Criminal Enforcement and Deterrence Act. My name is Mickey Papillon. And I'm Joey Kappas. Your weekly podcast for the latest news, devices, and software in the mobile phone industry. More information can be found at thecellphonejunkie.com. Well, first up in the news, Amazon, Apple, and Google have joined forces on a working group within the ZigBee Alliance to create a new royalty-free connectivity standard to increase compatibility among smart home products. Products. The new group called Project Connected Home over IP will take an open source approach for the development and implementation of the new protocol, including a specific set of IP-based networking technologies for device certification. So by basing the new standards on IP technology, the need for proprietary smart home hubs should be re- either reduced or eliminated, and proven uh, security technologies can then be used. A first version of the standard will be designed to work over three different types of radio, so Wi-Fi, including uh, Wi-Fi 6, Bluetooth LE in the 4.1 and 5.0 flavors, and 802.15.4, that's using Google's thread at 2.4 gigahertz. The first compatible devices may implement the new protocol over any one or more than one of these three radio types, and in addition to the existing smart home protocols that are already in place. Rather than starting from scratch, the group intends to accelerate development by leveraging existing market-tested technologies contributed by the founding companies. Google will contribute its weave and thread technologies, both of which are used in its Nest products, Apple will contribute HomeKit, Amazon will contribute its Alexa smart home technology, and the Zigbee Alliance will contribute its dot dot data models. Other participating companies include Samsung SmartThings, IKEA, NXP Semiconductor, Somfy, uh, Resdio, uh, Schneider Electric, Signify, Silicon Labs, and Woolian. The working group is a gr- uh, has a goal of a releasing a draft spec in a preliminary reference open source implementation in late 2020. And as you can see, there are a lot of companies that have you know uh, essentially smart home technologies. I've got a few of those brands like the Signify, which is the Philips Lightning uh, Light Lighting. Can't speak. I've got uh, LED strips which are sold under the Sylv- uh, sylvania brand name and those use bluetooth and they're home kit compatible and those are really uh nice lights and it's nice to have those on automated uh timers which is of course run by the apple tv but it's great because they don't need an internet connection and they don't even need wi-fi because they're bluetooth but of course i have a bunch of uh smart switches uh basically they just go into the wall but those are all wi-fi and those are home kit as well but of course when you look across all these other things. There's a bunch of different cool devices that you'd like to have, but of course they're not HomeKit. And you'd have to then go get this other technology and set it all up. But if we can get this down to, you know, kind of one compatible technology, it could really change the face of home automation to be just insanely integrated and cool. And of course, security is a definite concern, but it would really accelerate and make it so much easier because there's so many differences and hubs and all kinds of technology that just is not compatible. You feel like this was inevitable, uh, but also, you know, you, you, you think, well, it doesn't have to happen. I mean, these different companies have their own 
um, you know, they've got their own services and they're doing their own things. And so they may, you know, be trying to, you know, ensure that they are successful, um, you know, with the products and services that they have. And there's no real, I'll say, need to uh, work with others. But uh, the consumer, of course, feels differently. And to your point, you like to, to use different products and, and have these different integrations. And so uh, while it's uh, it's almost like a, a relief to see this happening, it certainly didn't have to. So got to give credit to these companies for working together. And I'm sure they all are thinking about it in the same way, which is that uh, alone they're going to only be so successful. And if they work together and you've got standards uh, that are uh, you know compatible with one another, then you're going to have a lot more success selling the products to a wider uh, audience and ultimately uh, have better revenue streams as a result. Well, next up, the Senate this week passing uh, that act that we mentioned at the beginning. It's also known as Traced. Uh, it's a bill aimed at fighting the scourge of unsolicited robocalls. The House of Representatives passed the bill earlier this month, and the president is expected to sign the Traced bill into law within days. Traced includes two key components. First, the FCC will now be empowered to fine robocallers up to $10,000 for each robocall that they place. Second, U.S. wireless companies will be required by law to implement call authentication technologies such as Stir and Shaken, a new protocol that fights caller ID spoofing by securely confirming call metadata or call the caller ID. Major carriers have already started deploying the Stir Shaken technologies uh, at the urging of the FCC. So uh, two big things happening here with uh, this new act. And obviously, this is uh, going to hopefully go a long way to helping us all receive fewer calls from people that we don't want to hear from. Next up, new FCC rules for wireless emergency alerts take effect this month. The new rules are designed to make emergency alerts more specific, relevant, and less annoying. Local officials can now conduct alert system tests at any time, but consumers are now opted out of such tests by default. Carriers are now required to deliver alerts with greater geographic accuracy, meaning to within one-tenth of a mile of the target area. Emergency messages delivered to 4G and 5G phones can now be up to 360 characters. Previously, there was a limit of just 90 characters for 3G and older phones. The uh, phones are required to keep a recent alerts available to view for 24 hours, and officials now have the option to send alerts in Spanish, which will automatically be delivered to phones set to the Spanish language and settings. Uh, also, there are a new category of alerts called public safety messages, which are designed to provide actionable additional information related to a previous alert. So, for example, if there's an imminent threat alert issued for a hurricane, a, a follow-up public safety message might provide the locations of nearby shelters or an advertisement to boil tap water before drinking. Now, like most other alert types, users can opt out of the public safety messages. Uh, another recent rule change allows emergency officials to add actionable links to alerts, which can be phone numbers or web addresses to pull down additional information as needed. Of course, these alerts are, are, are very interesting and very cool because they are based kind of on your cell site and they're regional. They're very close. Uh, uh, it's, a, it's a really neat technology, and I think it does have uh, obviously some issues here and there, but it's not bad at all for us to have these kind of alerts because we don't rely on, you know, radio, FM, AM, and TV like we used to, to get information. And in order to have these, you know, safety alerts, we need to have something kind of alerting us to issues that are, uh, that are going on out there for safety. And I think these are great changes. And of course, I still wonder why 360 characters is all they're limiting to, because that's still not that much. I mean, we've got lots of room here to grow, but 
still better than uh, 90 characters. That's true. You know, this is, um, I, I look at these and I think, um, you know, about just how useful uh, they can be. And, and if you think back, you know, 20 years ago when you were trying to get information for things like the, the attacks around 9-11 and yes, cable news was out there and the internet was, um, you know, around, but it was in a, a very different format. If you remember, um, you know, how do you, how people were trying to pass, you know, information around and, and check in on people. It was very different. Uh, and then to a fast forward to an event from earlier this week, a snow squall uh, that passed through New York City uh, that got a lot of attention because of when it happened um, was, uh, you know, the, the information about that specific event, although uh, albeit, you know, a weather related one and, and not nearly of uh, a, an emergency nature such as a terrorist attack, but certainly something to you, you want to know, hey, you've got some approaching weather here that's going to be impactful. Uh, and ultimately, you can it can help you make decisions on things that you're going to do or potentially not going to do as a result. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, for my iPhone, I've seen some weather alerts on there, but only for flood uh, warnings in my you know county. And that's the only time I've ever seen it go off. I've never seen it go off for um, uh, tornado or severe thunderstorm warnings. So I'm, I'm not sure exactly if it would for a tornado or not, but it's just kind of a, uh, I, I wonder what the threshold is and, and why. I guess the biggest, you know, the biggest thing is if it's an, event that has a certain of a certain nature that's going to be impactful to the safety or security of people and at that point then it makes sense for an alert to go out and um you know if there is uh you know a severe thunderstorm warning certainly could fall into that category but perhaps it's just not thought of uh you know as something as i'll say as reliable uh but you know when you you send out uh you know alerts or apps send out alerts um you know they are sending them out based on uh certain things that are happening versus these um emergency alerts that are going out there's a i think there's a higher threshold before something mm-hmm. gets sent out um so it's interesting you've seen you know flood uh, alerts that have gone out i've i've never seen one of those and i you know p- potentially don't live in an area i guess that is susceptible to those um certainly there are flooding issues that happen around but my specific little area that i live in um you know neighborhood if you will doesn't uh, is not susceptible to those types of things so uh you know very different uh, based on you know where you are and in the types of uh geography that you uh, live around well, next up, Verizon launching millimeter wave 5G this week in L.A. and nine other cities, bringing its 5G coverage to nearly 30 areas around the country. Coverage uh, in L.A. includes parts of downtown, Chinatown, Delray, and Venice. Other new cities include Charlotte, Greensboro, Grand Rapids, Miami, Salt Lake City, Spokane, Des Moines, Hoboken, and Memphis. As with all of Verizon's 5G deployments to date, the new service uses high-frequency millimeter wave bands, which offer high speeds but limited coverage. Verizon says they remain on track to offer 5G in 30 cities by the end of 2019. Sprint has joined T-Mobile, Verizon, and AT&T in offering a free service with basic protections against fraud and spam callers. Like the free services already offered by the other carriers, Sprint's new call screener Basic can block the highest risk fraud calls and identify other likely spam calls as they ring. Sprint's new free service also includes caller ID for businesses. A premium version called Call Screener Plus runs $3 a month and includes advanced caller ID for personal lines, plus options to automatically block lower risk spam calls. Users of Sprint's call screener will receive a free 15-day trial of Sprint Call Screener Plus. Android phones sold by Sprint should already have the app available, and iPhone owners can download it from the App Store. That 10-day trial is available for those who want to try out, of course, that Call Screener Plus. Yeah, and these services are nice. I've got the one for Verizon I've mentioned before running now on the iPhone, and 
and it really has reduced the number of robocalls uh, significantly, especially those ones that come from the exact same uh, first six numbers, the, the area code and the prefix. There was tons of those prior to activating that service, and now those have completely stopped. Uh, this week, I had, tw- uh, I had basically two robocalls. One was from an unknown number, and I haven't blocked those yet uh, just because I kind of forgot about that feature. It's a new iOS 13 feature. And then I also had one that said potential spam on the call that I did not answer, of course, as well, uh, which is flagged by the uh, the Verizon system for the, the the spam calls. Yeah, very handy. Obviously, for those that get a lot of calls, you have to be careful on, uh, you know, how you use your phone. And, and if you're, I don't know, I always look at a phone number. And if I don't know it, um, you know, then I, I, w- I wouldn't answer it. And then with the new tools, as you point out, or the settings that you can find in iOS 13, um, there's, this is not even, uh, you know, it's not even something that I have to deal with, because the phone calls don't ring through. There is an interesting exception. And that is on the iPad, if you pass through your calls uh, to, uh, to, you know, through the handoff mechanism from your phone to your iPad, the iPad does not mute them. So if you have the iPhone or the iPad uh, open, uh, you will still get the calls that will come through and there's no way to, uh, to, to allow that to those calls to be blocked. So um, I think that's uh, something that will change. The other you know thing that still strikes me is that as, as far as we've come here where you don't even need the phone near the device anymore to make and receive phone calls because of Wi-Fi calling and how that functions, the iPad still uh, uses uh, or pushes the, all the phone calls through the FaceTime application. And so it's, it's not intuitive if you are trying to make a phone call where you need to go in order to do that. Uh, but ultimately, and, and ultimately, you've, you've got missing tools like uh, the unknown caller uh, and blocked caller screen uh, that don't work on it. So they've got some work to do, and I think they could potentially break that out and make a phone app on the iPad. And at this point, people would understand uh, what that means. Um, and if you haven't connected it, just, you know, uh, would be easy enough to just walk people through through a process to figure out, uh, you know, what you need to do to make that happen. So, uh, but either way, nice to see that Sprint has joined the bandwagon here and is offering some at least basic protections against those spam and fraud calls. Well, no device news this week. So on to software we go. Apple Arcade, the subscription service for curated games, is now available at a 10% discount for those interested in prepaying for the service. The $50 per year upfront cost saves users $10 over the year, uh, the over the monthly billed price of $5 per month. According to a report from Bloomberg, within five years, Apple could be sending data to your iPhone from satellites. So the company is said to be hiring software, hardware, and aerospace engineers to find new methods of data transfer for the iPhone and its other fleet of consumer products. Now, back in 2017, Bloomberg reported that Apple was interested in the arena of satellites, uh, purportedly having talks with Boeing over a low-Earth satellite endeavor that would expand Internet access for developing nations. As described in Bloomberg's story... Uh, Apple is interested in the concept but doesn't have a clear path forward yet. The company is supposedly set has supposedly set interval uh, expect internal that is expectations such as meaningful results from the group after about five years. Bloomberg notes that the work on the project is still early and could be abandoned, but Tim Cook has seen satellites as a company priority. The concept may just be for current satellite based applications such as Apple Maps, or it could be for something more interesting such as a supplemental system for data delivery. That and, of course, uh, object location, device tracking location, and Apple is working on self-driving cars, so maybe it's also for that particular platform as well. And it would be one more way to cut out another 
partners. Uh, so you get rid of the, the, the carriers out of the equation, potentially, could make a huge difference, too, in either bottom line revenues and, of course, the user experience of the device. So you're not fighting with your carrier or bad service or whatever that may be. Um, maybe they would take that out of the equation. Who knows? It, it's potential. Uh, it has the potential of doing something like that. Yeah, the uh, the issue, of course, with talking about removing the carrier from the equation is just how integrated uh, these companies are with uh, everything that we do. Um, and it's, you know, all the different types of connections that you have. So it's everything from you, the things that make sense, like your phone and your, your iPad, but, you know, it's your car, it's the uh, the services potentially in the future that you're going to connect uh, in your home. Uh, and, and who knows, you know, what other things will come up uh, and and have an internet connection in them in the next five to ten years, uh, but ultimately the the way that these networks are deployed with towers you know placed certain distances uh, apart from them you know themselves uh, throughout the country, it's very difficult to try and and deploy something on a sat from a satellite perspective that could you know compete uh, within any sort of reasonable amount of time. Not to mention the building penetration issues that we have based on these satellites being you know many miles up in the air, and so it's um, it's it's very difficult to think that this is going to be something that uh, supplants uh, anything you know terrestrial based but also it's uh, you know th- crazier things have happened if you look at how music is listened to now on satellite on the satellite you know radio services that are out there it is possible uh, it's just it's going to take some uh, some engineering and uh, some really good physicists to figure out how to make this stuff work especially as we do a lot of our calling and whatnot indoors. Uh, Well, next up, uh, one quick Android note, uh, an update that includes uh, version 10 of Android is now rolling out to the Samsung Galaxy S10 phones here in the U.S. The Note 10 series will receive the update starting at the end of the month. An earthquake warning application created by UC Berkeley sent over its first ever alert to users in California recently. The quake uh, was a minor one, but uh, it it hopes for bigger quakes in the app uh, to be able to save people's lives and even reduce injuries uh, can be potentially uh, found through this testing. So um, even a few different seconds uh, of a notice can provide uh, some some safety here to people. Uh, The the nationwide, or excuse me, the, the statewide earthquake early warning cell phone application alert uh, that was sent out to California's uh, residents was sent out for a magnitude 4.3 earthquake, and it happened in the mountains between the Central Coast and the San Joaquin Valley. More than 40 people received the warning, and uh, it was through an application for called MyShake, and that relies on earthquake information calculated by the U.S. Geological Survey's Backbone Shake Alert system, gathering earthquake sensing data from networks uh, a network of hundreds of ground sensors on the West Coast. And so it works by alerting people to the quake uh, that is already underway. The idea is that detecting a quake uh, close to its epicenter, people will receive the warning a few seconds before it reaches cities. And the, a few seconds might not sound like much, but of course it will make a difference. Uh, the university says that such systems can work particularly well with strong earthquakes, providing seconds of alert for dentists to remove drills from mouths, elevators to let passengers off and allow people to drop, uh, cover, and hold on to uh, to things before the sh- strong shaking actually hits. Uh, 
Uh, it's not the only earthquake warning application out there, though. Uh, the city of Los Angeles has its own version called ShakeAlert LA, which was developed by AT&T, and it sends warnings for users physically located in Los Angeles County. MyShake, however, covers the entirety of the state of California. Both apps are triggered for earthquakes at a magnitude of 4.5 or greater and will alert people in areas where the shaking will still be strong enough to be quite noticeable, a level three on the modified Mercalli intensity scale. Yeah, and a 4.5 earthquake isn't insignificant. I was in an earthquake around that uh, around that magnitude, and it's it 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 splash it, it uh, sloshes your pool around. It it makes the walls kind of bend. It's it's kind of freaky at that uh, even at that level. Um, of course, since it's a logarithmic scale, when you get to five and six and sevens, uh, they get you know progressively much worse, much faster. Uh, than one one of that level, but since you know the the waves from the earthquake travel through the ground, you know, giving you that lead time of a few seconds, uh, it is a it is a big deal. Uh, it'd be nice to, of course, have you know earlier warning than that, and hopefully we can get some technology here that that transmits the data even faster than what we can kind of get with typical uh, cellular and fiber optic and routing because all those milliseconds between all those hops add up pretty quick when you're dealing with uh, time sensitive issues like this. But uh, to me, you know, having lived in California a long time ago, this kind of technology is really fascinating, really neat uh, to, to be able to even have a couple of seconds warning because it, it would really be uh, a good thing to have. Yeah, I was in an earthquake uh, a couple of years back in Northern California. Uh, it was a 6-0 or something, and uh, it was in the middle of the night. I didn't feel it, didn't wake up. Um, you know, it was it almost, I was shocked that this whole thing had even happened uh, when I got up the next morning and saw all the damage uh, that happened just, a, you know, 50 miles away or something. And, um, but that was also, you know, it depends on where you are um, and, you know, your environment. And uh, I happened to be in a single level house at the time. Um, versus um, maybe a year or so before that, it was in a, a 3.2 or 3.5 magnitude quake up on like the fourth floor of a building. And it was very noticeable because of uh, how the buildings are designed to sway in those types of things. And so um, it is kind of you know funny when you think about things like letting dentists remove drills from people's mouths. But, you know, you think about something like that, that could be there could be serious consequences if, if your dentist is all of a sudden shaken. It's like if he was, you know, so, someone bumped his arm, there's big issues there it is and it, when i was in the six and a half uh magnitude earthquake it's you know drastically more uh shaking when it's uh whipping things around and and of course if you watch some videos uh you know of like surveillance when earthquakes hit and in, in you know uh, like in convenience stores or grocery stores and everything on the shelves just immediately just you know shoots off the shelves it's it's very extreme and it's 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 got to be terrifying to be in an earthquake like that it, it's like the uh you know like a car drives into the side of the building with the amount of force um you know that that all the stuff goes shooting around i remember too from uh i think it was this one up in northern california where the the data that is uh now able to be gathered uh by people to be able to help figure out where quakes are felt through things like fitbits and as people it was in the middle of the night so there was this you know obviously kind of general curve 
of uh, you know when people were going to bed, and it was it was on a weekend, so uh, you know it was a little bit later. But the the vast majority of the population was asleep by I think it was one a.m. or something like that, and uh, and then all of a sudden you saw it like three thirty, uh, it spiked up to like fifty percent of people were awake or something like that. And I just thought like that's that's really interesting to see and to understand how the the data that is gathered from each of our individual uh, you know devices are whether it's our, our wearables or or whatever can be used uh, to help kind of crowdsource and figure out where impacts were felt and uh, where things happen. So um, find that kind of stuff very interesting. And of course, if you're in one of these, uh, in an area that is prone to earthquakes, uh, a few seconds, as you know, is, is can, you know, a very helpful thing. So uh, whether it's the MyShake app or uh, the city of LA's ShakeAlert LA app, those are very important things, I think, for for consumers to have. And so, uh, especially when we see, you know, it get used this week and 40 people received an alert because it was impactful to them. And, you know, the, the scientists keep saying uh, California is overdue for some very big earthquakes. This is one of the longer t- uh, stretches uh, uh, in history without some pretty serious earthquakes in California. So they're saying it's uh, it's probably coming. Yeah. And that's terrifying. And also, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we live in a world where you can you can get an alert uh, that will tell you within a couple of seconds, hopefully, of when that earthquake is actually going to hit. So you can uh, be paying attention and ultimately, you know, know what, uh, you know, what's coming, uh, at least to a certain extent. Well, no questions or comments this week, uh, but we'd love to hear from you. Send us an email to questions at the cell phone junkie.com or give us a call 650-999-0524 and we'll get whatever you have to say on a future show. Well, happy holidays to everyone out there. Merry Christmas, happy Hanukkah uh, and any other holidays that you may be celebrating. Same to you as well. Joey, thank you very much as always for your time. We'll talk to you later. Thanks for listening. For more information about the stories you've just heard, visit us at thecellphonejunkie.com.